0: Listeners, this is your host Clara, and I'll be interviewing Troy Ogilvie, who teaches improv, choreographs, and performs dance and dance theater. From 2013 to 2015, Troy performed as Lady Macbeth in Punch Drunk's Sleep No More. She has danced for and collaborated with choreographers including Roy Asaf, Andrea Miller, Sidra Bell, Itzik Galili, Shannon Gillen, Zoe Schofield, Margie Gillis, and many, many more. Troy has also curated, produced, and performed in two full solo shows, Reset in 2011 and Prism in 2017. In 2011, she was named one of Dance Magazine's Top 25 to Watch. Troy has taught and continues to teach and choreograph in countless venues and dance studios in New York City and New Jersey. She holds a BFA from Juilliard. Welcome, and thanks so much for coming over, Troy. Thank you for having me, Clara. (laughs) I'm so excited that we could do this. For our listeners at home, uh, Troy and I have been collaborating on a music video project for a while now. We're just working around the team's crazy freelance schedules. Um, So we met through a project, and now we're talking on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we always start at the very beginning with everyone. So tell us how you got involved in dance and how you decided to make it your career. Um, And I'm going to add, as part of that, because you've worked with such a range of people and styles, maybe tell us a bit about the different styles and worlds of dance that you've worked in, and just how you got involved in so many different things.
1: Mm -hmm. I started um, in dance because my babysitter quit. My babysitter was there every Wednesday, and uh, she either went to college or got fed up with me. I'm not sure which. And um, my... Mom and I were in the mall, and she saw, like, a dance d- a demonstration from Miss Carol's School of Dance in uh-huh. New Jersey, uh-huh. and she was like, great, uh, you can do that on Wednesday nights while I'm seeing patients. So <laughs> we just started doing that, and I started with ballet, tap, and jazz at Miss, Miss Carol's School of Dance, and then I went on to musical theater. In, um, in middle school, I was in the high school shows um, because I was... This tall. I was five, six, like in seventh grade. So I was. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> which, you were a tall person back then. I and was. Now you're normal. <laughs> well, so this is the thing. In my mind, I'm still very tall. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of a. I have a. Um, yes, I think
0: I'm taller than I am. Which Me too. I've really? Been, yeah. I've recently labeled it a narcissistic personality complex, but I'm sure <laughs> it's not on your part. You actually have a reason to think you're taller. <gasps> yes. So
1: musical theater, and then I started to do Nutcrackers with New Jersey Dance Theater Ensemble. And then I was, uh, went to Princeton Ballet School and got a little bit more into ballet and Point and then Juilliard. And then I just started being really interested. I was always interested in performing and so I was in as many um, student choreography pieces as possible at mm-hmm. school. I just um, was super hungry for them. And and I just kind of continued uh, on that path I think I was also during all of that training, which I know you're familiar with, that sort of intensive six days a week, seven days a week type of training. You get really into like your kinosphere, like the where your body is and sort of what it can do within that range yeah. as well as with with space. But it becomes um, very insular and very competitive. I was good at it. Like I have good muscles and bones and (laughs) just like the structure. I'm flexible and strong and strong and I have coordination. So I could usually get what I wanted. And I would say that when I was in school, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted. So I would just go for whatever whatever was offered. So if it was choreography that was offered, great. I was going to do as many as possible if it was, you know. So yeah. And then after school, I just, I don't know, I kept working with people Mm -hmm. and it was always about the people and sort of work that was physical and then I was always naturally theatrical I'm not shy and probably a veer towards ham more than Mm -hmm. shy (laughs) so yeah yeah, that was actually a big lesson at school which was to like tone it down I guess. really you mean at juilliard i think so, yeah i think oh. so I, maybe it was maybe it was self inflicted
0: why do you think did you feel because especially especially in ballet and you were studying a lot of things but oh, yeah i mean teachers talk a lot about dancing to the balcony and the last row and you kind of have to be big i guess i'm just curious why did you feel like you needed to tone it down
1: i don't know cuz i just maybe i liked it so much you know mm-hmm. that it was just the, the J-O-D, you know, the Joy of Dance. It was yeah. like, it just, it was, it was a little much, I'm sure. And I think working with Andrea at Galeem, I started to play a little bit more with that, with the mystery and the exactly. secrecy. Not secret, I think mystery is more the word, more about drawing right. audiences in rather than always, like, throwing myself at them.
0: Wow. <laughs> so it became
1: a little bit more of a nuanced relationship.
0: That's such an interesting way to put it. I didn't think about that. Um, But especially in smaller venues, and really in any venue, um, but I can definitely see that that's that's kind of a part of it, the mystery of it, the mystery of dance.
1: Yeah, well, that that idea that you you are not revealing everything, that you have something, that you're not giving it all away Mm. all the time. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and also working with Sidra was a similar quality I mean her work is very theatrical also or or has the possibility for that but it was so much about what you were actually doing on stage I I just have
0: to comment I love that when you didn't know exactly which direction you wanted to go in and what you wanted to do your response was just to do everything because you hear so many people these days feeling hung up on like I don't know what I want to do I don't know what the end goal is so I don't know what to do with myself and I think that's such a great answer do it all and do it all, ten times better, you know, <laughs> or ten times bigger. That's awesome. You said you get very into your own kinosphere. I haven't heard the word kinosphere. What What does that mean?
1: I hope I'm using it correctly. <laughs> my My understanding. Yeah. What my understanding is kind of like the um, the picture. What is it? Is it David when he's kind of all outstretched? Mm, um, is it David or is it? The one by um, – oh, God, what's his name? The, the artist who did everything. Was it Michelangelo? Da Vinci, da Vinci, da Vinci sure. Just some Italian guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah the Da Vinci man. Yes, mm-hmm. right, Perfect right, right. man or something like yes. that.
1: Yeah. So I think, like, if your arms and legs are fully outstretched and if you, like, wave them around, that's your kinosphere. Like, that's, like, your kind of little world yes. of your body and the space around it. Got it. And I would say, actually, when I started to – choreograph that was a big adjustment mm. to kind of take myself out of my kinosphere into like what is that body doing in relationship to the stage or in relationship to other bodies on stage mm. and the music and the blah, blah blah so yeah that was a kind of a big uh mind expansion that had to happen in order to actually see it the whole picture
0: that's interesting i think um core work probably prepares a lot of ballet dancers at least for I mean, I don't know, uh, maybe it isn't necessarily awareness outside of your kinosphere. You're just packed in and aligned with other people, so you're kinda invading each other's kinosphere.
1: <laughs> right. Well I mean there's like proprioception, which is the which mm. is where your body is in space. Like you don't I don't have to look at my arm right now to know it's behind me. Right. Right. And I feel like that's that kind of spatial awareness is something that, yeah, it's highly attuned with core members and but mm. it's still within such um, a rigid rule, like the rules are so clear and mm-hmm. set out and there's a very clear right and wrong. So yeah. I think there's a different kind of problem solving when you're looking at the whole pick, like including the principles and including the soloists and including the narrative of the whole story, like how it happens in time and how it happens. Right. these are things that core members are kind of like just, Can you point your foot at the same time as the other? You know, it's just a different um, game.
0: Yeah, whereas as the choreographer, you're kind of engaging all the elements on the stage. So I guess how did that process take shape for you? Did you start choreographing at Juilliard, or how did you get into more and more choreo and get into doing improv, which sounds like is a huge part of what you do? Yeah,
1: (laughs) actually, oh, my God, my first improv class was with Elizabeth Keene at Juilliard, and I was a freshman. And she um, instructed us to all do um, whatever felt natural to us, like natural sort of, I don't know if she said authentic, but that's the idea, this movement that felt natural to you. And I did balancés, which is a ballet move. I fully went up there, and I did the most beautiful balancés I'd ever done because that's what felt natural to me that i was so trained that that i had sort of tricked i guess my body into thinking that was natural maybe and and i don't think it was necessarily a lie it felt true to me at that moment that this was natural movement and then i was just um so blown away by my classmates i was just in awe of of them totally in awe
0: so were your had your classmates come from more of an improv background and they kind of stepped outside of those choreographed moves a bit more? I don't
1: know what it was, but they were all just, I think some, I think some went to performing arts high schools. I went to public school yeah. and then went to ballet after, after school and before homework, <laughs> but some other of my classmates did as well. And I don't know. I, I just felt like at that moment that I had a lot of catching up to do. Interesting. Um, in terms of like my mind, in terms of art and creativity, as opposed to art as, or dance as a sport. Sport, which I think mm. is also a totally beautiful aspect of dance, mm. uh, physicality. and But it's just funny to me that now that's really what I do is improvisation and that yes. I started from a place that really had kind of no idea. That rings true to me.
0: I We were just talking about this mm-hmm. and how I should come to one of your improv classes because I just, I don't know what to do. It kind of freeze, free, freezes me up. It's definitely a different, I guess, activating a different part of your mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's
1: something like we're improvising right now. Yeah. You know? That's and true. we're yeah. always improvising within a framework. So it just depends on what your framework is. So, like in yeah, choreography, yeah. there's also an element of improvisation because you can't set every single molecule of your body all the time. Yeah. So, I don't know. When you start to see it that way, it makes it a little bit more, or for me, it has made it a little bit more possible. Um I remember one of the girls in my
0: class in my class growing up in high school to this day one of the most beautiful dancers I've ever seen. I mean and she was that good in high school. Just the fluidity she brought to the movement, the feeling she brought to the movement, it was so unique. And I re- have a specific memory. This happened many times, but I remember watching her do a combination we were learning from a more modern kind of teacher and it looked completely different. To me, than what the teacher had shown, mm-hmm. and I knew I could tell it was the same movement. Which I couldn't do at all, by the way. <laughs> this, with this teacher and many others who taught us outside of the ballet sphere, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I don't know why. Other people could, I could not. It was like, I can do ballet, but um, it it just it blew my mind. I was like, how how did she discover something in the movement where just the way she moves and whatever she's bringing to it and her sensibility makes it look like this whole different dance. Mm. Um, so I. I'm kind of relating to your comment about there being improv within choreography with that experience. Um, that it, maybe it just comes from within, or who's dancing?
1: Absolutely, and I think that sometimes the choreography or the thing that is set is almost like a um, what's the word? Like a totem, or like a like a place mm. for the the spirit, the whatever it is, to come into. <laughs> so it's almost like you create a form for that thing, I don't know, some people call it duende, some people call you know, there's all sorts of really? things or names for it, yeah. but then, and then you have to sort of ride that spirit as well, and I think what's interesting is the conversation between that spirit and the rigidity of the form, and so, like, you want to see that tension, and I think yeah. choreographers are inspired by that. I mean, you might even call it, you might even call that the muse, you might even call that, you know, I don't know. That's very interesting, and it's such
0: a good perspective because it exists in ballet, too. Everybody thinks, oh, it's so rigid and blah, 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 but it's spiritual and it's emotional and it's everything when you're, I, if I dare to say, doing it right, You know, letting your sure. spirit come, come through your movement. Um, to pivot a little bit, I'm so curious about the fact that you... Uh, danced in Sleep No More Mm -hmm. and continue to maybe collaborate with them on some level. Um, Sleep No More really put immersive theater on the map for tons of people Mm -hmm. um, across around the world, really. So for our listeners who maybe aren't uh, familiar, maybe tell us a little bit about the structure of a Sleep No More show um, and then give us the inside scoop. Like what was the rehearsal and preparation process like for such a unique immersive show?
1: Sure. I can talk a little bit about it there. Well, so the show, um, it in Chelsea. The audience members wear masks um, so the experience is kind of anonymous and you walk around this five-story building and you sort of follow the action as it unfolds. It's a little bit like choose your own adventure and my advice to people who go see the show is to follow a character until you find someone else that you want to follow. So I I would advise to keep following people Unless you want to just walk around empty rooms, which is also super fun. <laughs> but if you want to see sort of more action, just following people is worth it. Yeah. And to be open and generous in your energy. And then maybe some some exciting things will happen to you. <laughs> but being in the show was such an amazing experience. Also, I learned a lot from my partner at the time, in the show, Nick Bruder. He was my Macbeth to my Lady Macbeth. He's a dancer, but he also came from a more theater background. And so he was able to kind of push me theatrically. And I pushed him physically. And so it was a really nice match, I think. Yeah, it pushed me for, like, the truth of something. Like, you have to actually get yourself. Like, the moment has to be real. Hmm. It's not... It doesn't work if it's just well, you have to do that on the eight, you know, like five, six, seven, move on eight. It's like five, six, seven, you better, it better, like, the tension should be building (laughs) so that you do it on, anyway, it was a nice lesson for me. And also a lesson in sort of ramping up and down the volume between sort of natural movement, more like something that you would catch on a camera and something that's more stylized um, or performative. Because we'd have scenes where you're just, you know, lifting a glass and putting the glass down. And then other scenes where you're fully dancing and throwing yourself around and partnering. And and how do those exist in the same world? Yeah. You know, and how do you kind of that, that mystery, how do you draw people in, but then direct them in the space without looking at them or without being like, um, can you move over here? You know, like how to yeah. do it within the story it's so fascinating, and some of
0: the questions now coming to my mind, I actually haven't really thought about before. I don't know why. <laughs> um It's a five-story mansion. Yeah. Are you given? You must be given places you have to be at any given time, right? Like, is it all choreographed, at le- or at least blocked out for where you? Oh yeah. Moving through. So over the course of three hours, this is a three-hour continuous continuous show, mm-hmm. and you have to keep the pace to end up in the right place at the right time.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs>
0: Wow. <laughs> so that must be exhausting. Yeah. really take it out of you. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, mm.
1: you're, you're also living in it. I don't know. It's mm. like it's, mm-hmm. it's three hours of life. I yeah. don't know how to say it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, of course, totally exhausting. I, would, I found that, and actually generally, I have found that my warm-ups have to be quite strict. Mm. Yeah, strict, the right word. Or sort of um, very much about form and sort of about like being my even weight on both feet. And it's a lot about sort of calibrating and like my relationship to the floor and gravity and sort of like very grounding so that in the performances I can fly a little bit more. Does that kind of style come more from improv?
0: It's just interesting because I think that doesn't sound like what a ballet trained dancer would think about and you did have ballet training for many years yeah. but then of course you've branched off in so many different well directions. and
1: actually it's sometimes i'll still do um a ballet bar yeah nothing but, better than that but the but the um my intention has shifted so much mm-hmm. um so if i'm in a first position i'm really thinking about where is my weight distributed on my feet and when i mm-hmm. plie and straighten bend my knees and straighten them I just have a constant, yeah. It's more about the weight, and then about my the relationship of my head to my um, sternum to my sacrum yeah. to my, and so it, it's just a little bit more. And it's not even that anatomical, because mm-hmm. for me, if I get too anatomical, I. Um, I kind of wormhole into something that's less and less useful for me <laughs> like i have oh. to keep i have to keep pretty holistic like it's it's better for me or more efficient for me to think about like my head and my feet and then oh i'm a little bit off where are my arms oh okay there we go like I have to almost be a little bit zoomed out. And then there's moments where I just have to sort of rock out. And that's another kind of calibration, just kind of like jumping from side to side or sort yeah. of getting some sort of rhythm going on, some sort of coordination. a few jumps, so if you like down to the floor and up and then some sort of like, you know, yoga stillnesses. I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. I
1: love that. It so- sounds
0: fun. Yeah. <laughs> and actually that grounding is um, something all dancers, especially ballet dancers should really be focusing on. Um, in what, Ways did it just feel really different, and did the experience really differ in Sleep No More from performing in a more traditional space, um, whether that's in a theater or even just a space where you're directing towards an
1: audience with a Mm -hmm. clear place? Mm -hmm. Well, a little bit what I was talking about in terms of the space, like people can get very close to you so that, again, it feels a little bit more like a camera in terms of the intimacy, that you can get so close to someone that you really can't get on stage in the same way unless the performer comes out to the audience or invites audience members onto stage or does like a live feed video or, but I would say also with both Sidra and Andrea and actually with a project I did recently with Zoe Schofield, we did a lot of what I would call like chamber dance where it was sort of small space. So you could still get a little bit more intimacy than you would on a traditional proscenium stage. Mm -hmm. So it was something that I still, um, I was already sort of playing with, but not to this extreme. So it was nice to play with even more the calibration of that. Again, like the ter- uh, turning up the volume and turning down the volume. And I would say after being there for two years and then going back to a proscenium stage, it did feel like everyone was very far away and that everything was very dark. Even though Slippin' More is dark, but you don't have that sort of like drop off. Yeah, right. <laughs> the cliff of the stage and then... But Margie, has, Margie Gillis has some nice imagery about having sort of this, how, what is it? I think it's some sort of like a, a goddess or some sort of mm-hmm. entity that is upstage, that sort of, that kind of grounds you so you don't feel like you're falling into the audience all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's similar to that feeling of, of mystery, of like bringing people to you, into your house, into your mm-hmm. stage. I don't know. I think yeah. I also learned at Sleep No More how to let the space do work for you as well. Really? What what do you mean by that or what's an example? Um, I guess traditional sets on or like prosceniums can be quite bare, so it's a little bit right. more difficult to do that, but mm-hmm. just that like the light is an element. The music is like all of these things carry weight also. Yeah. I don't know I guess there is I guess it was also a bit for survival. You just learned when to do less.
0: <laughs> right, for 3 hours traveling yeah. through that space. Um and it, it must have been hard sometimes if you got a big crowd and they're crowding around and you have to do something that takes a lot of space, you've got to just take command and take your take your space. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. Um so you have danced with so many different choreographers. I read a long list and it wasn't even like half of the actual list. <laughs> and a lot of them are really theoretical and really he- heady and just prolific and so wonderful. Such great names in dance. So maybe tell us a little bit about just dancing with so many different notable choreographers and um, give us a snapshot of what it was like working with some of them.
1: Oh, it's so t- it's t- they're all so different and what's been really wonderful about a lot of the people that I've worked with, I would pretty much all of them work in a very collaborative way. There's a few people like uh, Royasov and Itzik Galili. They taught me solos that were already created. Mm-hmm. Um, and Margie also, but she's also choreographed solos on me. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everything else, I have been a part of the creation okay. of, of the work. It's such funny, like the terms, I think we're at a moment where we're starting to question what these words are, but I would say I've choreographed most of the things that I've performed on stage, like choreographed again in my own kinosphere. Like I made the moves yeah. that then I performed on stage or I learned that someone else in the cast made or, and I think at the beginning it can, it can be confusing when you come out of school mm-hmm. and you're like, Hey, I made that. You know, like, this is my, yeah, why isn't my name up there? Why isn't, and I think I've been learning a little bit like in a fashion house, mm-hmm. how you're like, you know, in the house of uh, Alexander McQueen, or the house yeah. of whatever. And I feel like companies that are under a choreographer's name, in my experience, mm-hmm. have a little bit of that going on, okay. where, yes, these dancers are, perform, are, are creating a lot of maybe the, Actual material, but based on the prompts of the choreographer, or or are they directors? I'm not really sure. Is everyone yeah. there a choreographer? I don't know, but I do know that the person whose name goes on it also has more responsibility, you know, in terms of funding, in certain terms of scheduling, in terms of blah 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 all these things, and then in terms of the credit at the end, and uh, like they take responsibility for the success or failure of the piece in that way so growing up in that world it was just really great and generous and confusing and uh and sometimes it can feel like you're being taken advantage of but then you you start to learn I I should be clear it's all about me (laughs) because I don't want it to be because I don't want to say like this is for everyone but in my journey (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) in my journey it was uh Would you say
0: so? This is so interesting because um, you're right. I could see where someone might think, "I I made that." Like, where's my name? Yeah. At the same time, I'm curious to what extent you feel that the, let's say, director or choreographer Mm -hmm. or House of Blank Whoever's name, Mm -hmm. really does shape uh, the way the movement comes out. Because I would think, they're, you know, maybe the reason they're getting credit is, in a perfect world, should be that they're shaping that process and they're shaping the atmosphere and the mm-hmm. environment and the way the work comes out all has some kind of similarity that you can associate back to that person and their style. Do you feel like that is usually the case and it works out that way?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they also, mm-hmm. you know, they are coordinating with the composer. They're coordinating with the costume designer. They are in the lighting designer. But, you know, they're sort of the, the place for all those things, like through the filter of their opinion, their life, their – yeah, definitely. And I think also I very quickly learned how to interpret, maybe, or sort of become a prism, maybe, for each individual choreographer. So I would also, I have an opinion, and I have these things that I'm working on within my kinesphere and what I, and, and my specific Body quirks, like I have a lot of internal rotation. I like fall a lot. I don't know. There's like (laughs) things that I do that I that I keep working on, and that people like are pulling out specific parts of. But yeah, you do kind of as a freelancer, you start to learn how to be a mind reader a little bit Mm -hmm. too, in a lot of ways, or a body reader, or a personality reader. I don't know. And I think for a long time, I felt like I could really say what I wanted to say through other people's work. Because in the end, it's you on stage. Yeah, you have the last say in a lot of ways. You have a lot of power. Yes. Unfortunately, in the dance world, the timing is very skewed because most of the time is spent in the rehearsal process, mm. with typically only a few shows. Right. So those moments are are fleeting, which maybe makes them more uh, addictive. <laughs> like about those yes. moments.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so addictive. I think I loved nothing more than just the performing aspect of dance growing up and one thing I complain about constantly is there's there's no real legitimate perform performance opportunities for someone who's not a professional dancer Mm. I can go to class but Mm. I can't perform in anything you know you know it's nobody's fault Um, but yeah that those moments on stage are so precious and you're so right that you're taking command of this of the environment and presenting something Um, there's room
1: for that I love that idea I, I didn't I always think of People who, and this is my own thing, yeah, but like I always think of people who aren't performers that they just don't want to be on stage, but like, yeah. no, there's totally room for that. I actually, I've been, I was doing a few, I'm, I haven't figured out how to do it yet, but I was doing something where kind of whoever came to my classes mm-hmm. would be invited to perform with me. Wow. Um, and I kind of created these interstitial improvised moments between solos in my last solo show. Oh wow. It was it almost worked. I have a few I have a lot of ideas about how to how to make it just better for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I want more of that. Like I want to kind of blur the boundaries a little bit more and have more yeah. invitations for that experience on stage. Yeah.
0: That's a great idea. And I think it would get more people hooked, too. We're always talking about like what's happening in the dance world how do we save it and maybe it's not dying i mean our our guests have a wide range of opinions it's just there seems to be some crisis of audience and
1: absolutely to pay attention it's Um, so insular it can be so insular and it it sometimes feels like dance is an inside joke between the people on stage and the audience and it's Mm. like where's the room for people (laughs) for other people (laughs) like we're not even talking about them so why would they come
0: Yeah, and the the funny thing is, at least I've always found it funny, whenever I talk to an adult who has tried ballet for the first time, Mm -hmm. in my mind, and I don't mean to be snobby about it, it's just I spent 15 years training in this, I don't understand how they can find it enjoyable without that bedrock of training. Mm -hmm. Because it's so hard to do (laughs) even a tendu correctly, you know, and for me, I guess Like, with rising levels of proficiency throughout my life, it became more and more fun. Um, Well, maybe not, though, because it was fun all along. But every time I talk to someone who's tried ballet for the first time, they say, I loved it. I had fun. I want to do it again. Mm. And it's so interesting to me because there's something about it that people really connect to, even if they can't really do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think, it. I mean, that's with what you're doing with improv, that probably feels maybe like somebody might step in the room and be like okay I can try it so i bet you're unlocking that to a lot a lot of new people
1: Well, everyone has a body yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone has a kinosphere yep so yep and everybody it? can feel their <laughs> weight on the floor mm-hmm. you know yeah you take up space <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's what it's about do any kind of recent particularly interesting projects stand out in your mind when you've collaborated with someone not to say it would be better than another experience. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> I know. I'm trying to be out. so fair. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Everybody's brilliant. We love them all. Yeah, but everyone's so different. Let's see. I don't know. I've been really enjoying the um, the challenge of, of actually putting all of my theories into practice. Oh, I, I actually know. I wrote a um, hmm. Why I Dance for a Dance Magazine a few years oh, back. And it's funny because I think what I ended up saying at the end was like, I dance because I always have and because I'm good at it and because of something, but it was very sort of, and it was a pretty true reasoning at the moment because I was a little bit, I was like, I'm not really sure why I do it, but I, I like it and I'm good at it and I've been doing it for a while. (laughs) I think that's really shifted a lot. I found a lot of other reasons to (laughs) do it now. Some feel almost political. Some feel like survival, like if we're going to survive as humans. There's a lot more reasons to do it. And I think now sort of making my own work, I'm putting a lot of those theories to test. And it's, I'm still like very much in the journey of trying to figure this out. And I recently made a made a piece for 33 dancers where I was putting all of these ideas into action and now I'm at the point where I'm creating my own house so yeah so how do I now inspire and instigate and facilitate Mm -hmm. these dancers that are in my house to do things that represent what I'm trying to do because it's not even that I want them to do what I want them to do because I don't necessarily have an aesthetic right now that I want them to do, but I have these ideas and, and how do you fill it? But then I have to, just like right now I'm saying like nothing, but I'm using a lot of words. (laughs) It's like, how do I make the actual words? How do I make the actual movements that also have a commitment to what I'm saying? And it's a little bit, so it's like beyond the theory into like action. And what are we actually talking about? And see, I still haven't done it yet. I still haven't actually (laughs)
0: missed the thing. (laughs) No, you've said a lot, though. There's a lot to unpack there. I I really like that you're coming at the idea of theories in dance from the question of why do I do this. Uh Sometimes I have trouble with theoretical work or, like, theory intersecting with dance because sometimes as an audience member and trained dancer, it just, I mean, I want to sit down and see something that makes me feel something.
1: Mm -hmm, I guess that's why
0: I go to shows. Yeah. And a lot of times with the theoretical work, you can feel like, well, you're trying to say all these things about society. Why don't you write an essay? Like, I'm not feeling inspired by the movement. Exactly. But you've located the theory of it inside, why am I doing this? And I think that actually helps make a clearer connect between, like, dance and theory, that there is... It's really just the explanation for what motivates you, and mm-hmm. that's what has to come across in your movement. Anyway, and I know that, like, it's sometimes hard to share, especially outside of the language of dance, but are there any th- kind of theories in your mind that you could share with us? You say you have many intersecting, some political, et cetera.
1: Sure, sure. And I, I love what you just said about, you know, just write the essay. It's something that I think about a lot, and it's like if it if I could – write it as an essay, I should write the essay. Like, I want to say things that can only be said in dance. This is actually the clearest way, kind of similar to poetry. Mm -hmm. Like, poetry kind of gets this rap for being um, super flowery and kind of excessive, or it can be seen that way. But the best poetry is so incisive, like they only use the words that they need to use. And I love that, and I think that dance has a similar power of actually being more searing and more to the point. Mm -hmm. And I would also add that I've been choreographing and assisting and directing at the parties at the McKittrick Hotel for the past five years. So those are super fun and super just, like... And I also am such a, a sucker for any music that's very loud. Like anything that's loud, I'm just like, I'll, I have like lose all sort of <laughs> sense of um, if it's like good music or like just if it's loud, I am in it. Yeah. And that's that like just me as a dancer and just like needing to be physical and just that. So I have that as well. And so I've been trying to, again, find the balance between this this the bigger theory and like what am i saying with this piece and then also now it's boring you know i often right now will make a piece that is the theory and then i watch it and then i i'm like oh that's unwatchable like i can't even (laughs) watch this whole thing and then i'm like okay so then when does it need to actually do i need to engage the audience and be like this is because even when you're when i'm talking about something theoretical I know when I'm losing my audience, you know, because I'm also a performer. So I'm like, oh, come back. Let me give a little bit of charm. Let me give them a little bit of, of um, hmm. and let me give a gift so that you come back to me and now listen to what I have to say. Because like, yeah. that's part of the craft of it also. It can't just be theory. There's also a craft in the communication of it. Like, what do I want you to get across? And you don't have to, I don't need the audience to know my whole idea hmm. because that, again, might just be an essay but what is the specific version of that idea that I'm showing you right now? Mm-hmm. And like for the piece I made recently, I, it was kind of like an alternative version of the, of the world. I've been watching a lot of Blue Planet, <laughs> oh. and I love all of the instances of interspecies cooperation. Hmm. There's so many beautiful examples of that, and I read somewhere about how um, capitalism kind of started at the same time as Darwinism. Hmm. So like Darwin published his theories and then uh, economics, economists? Economists, Economists, there we go. Um, We're like oh, that's great. Let's just, let's make a market, this is a very (laughs) simplified version but they happened around the same time. And I think Hmm. how interesting would it be to create an uh, economy based around cooperation, based around, you know, these other things that are also found in nature. Hmm. So it's sort of making a piece that was based around that but then again like that's so simple that's not a piece like what I told you is just like um, a worldview maybe so then getting more and more specific and then also without me saying this is how I think the world should be without becoming a preacher um, without saying like this is what's right and I'm going to tell you how
0: yeah
1: saying this is something I'm working on this is what I'm thinking about huh Let's, like, invite that. Yeah. Um, And I try to teach in a similar way where when I'm teaching, I feel like I'm more facilitating other people's experience than saying this is how you're supposed to do things. This is how you should live. This is how you – this is the order your muscles should fire. Yeah. I love that. There's so much there. Um, That actually kind of reminds me a little bit of –
0: I was talking to – Andrea or Andrea Andrea. Kaleem. Andrea. Kaleem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Andrea, uh, and she told me a bit about some of the things that had motivated some of her pieces mm-hmm. and I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it sounded similar with the the blue planet and I, I think that actually really does help us kind of envision why you would need to present theory and dance. Um, especially that example, I can even picture a piece just from that example alone. I mean, and I think in very literal terms, so I'm sure what I'm picturing is way more literal to like what you saw on blue planet than yeah. what you would create. But, um, it does make sense that you're presenting this kind of worldview and this idea, idea, but you don't want to have to go as far as you would in writing to say, I have a belief that this is how it should be. For example, you're just kind of, kind of tweaking and pushing people to, to look at the world that way yeah like hey look at this this interspecies collaboration this is so cool and then maybe they think from there um so i I love that 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 really does make a lot of sense um and actually i relate to that too like a lot of times i'll tell people especially with religion i i've started using the phrase appealing speculation instead Mm -hmm. of belief Mm because sometimes it just feels like too much to say like i believe this i'm like i don't know what i believe but i think this speculation is more appealing than that one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you can kind of operate in that world of speculation presenting works
1: yeah and is. also I yeah. love the idea that you can still exist in a place where people have different beliefs like I think mm-hmm. that's super important. Oh man, it's so tricky right now. Yeah. You know, because then how does that how are those repercussions felt politically and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not in law like I'm not going to quit my job and go lobby you know that that wouldn't be a good use of my time but then how do I still participate in the world within my um my sphere which within my like when I'm in control of a classroom or when people come um and give me an hour and a half of their time I feel very ferociously protective about that time for them and like so how do I Actually, my mom was telling me like when when she was growing up, the idea of uh, political correctness meant living the way that you wanted the policies to um, wow. reflect. Oh wow! Okay. Which I loved, yeah. and so I'm like, in whenever I'm in charge of a room, I want to run that room the way that I hope that the world would run. Yeah. You know, so that's a lot of. So my so the work that I have to do a lot of it actually happens outside of the classroom outside of the studio mm. so that I can come in and just get to work sort of like leading by example which
0: we should all do. Yeah we and and, not, be and again place.
1: not to say that I, I know it I'm figuring it out with the people that are there. Right. Cuz again right. like it has to be real. You can have a theory but you have to actually but when when you're in a room with people you have to actually deal with them. Mm-hmm. And you have to deal with the realities of your theory, yeah, which is different from like writing in your notebook, you know. Exactly, exactly,
0: and that can be intimidating. I've <laughs> always thought like I want to choreograph, but then not would be in the room full of people and I'd have to like,
1: <laughs> absolutely. To and and then you have to see, thing. and you have to see all of your ideas, your beautiful theories come crashing down around you. <laughs> and you're just <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, that, well, nope. Start over.
0: Thought that one would work, but maybe not. Yeah.
1: Well, that sounds like a fascinating <laughs>
0: process. Um, so let's see, we haven't actually talked too much about your process as a choreographer. How do you create movement, I guess, with your dancers? How does that take shape?
1: I'm still really figuring, figuring that out. <laughs> um, Maybe for right now. Yeah, yeah, for right now. Yeah, for right now, I've been sort of giving prompts. And then I think most recently we did something where, like, everyone started with a sentence. And then they made work, made a movement that came from the vowels and consonants of the, of their sentence, like how those, those would feel in their bodies. And then we did more and more process And I was like, you know, what would you, if you were a, um, if you were, what kind of person would say your sentence? And then if that person was an animal, what kind of animal would they be? And then like adding that quality to the, you just kind of add lots and lots of things. And then I just took stuff that I liked and put them together and, And then I had this other, this theory of organization around it. Oh, and I was thinking what you were saying about the theories in terms of like where I am when I make work. So it's kind of like I try to, there's like three axes, let's say. So one is sort of my, my skill, like wherever I am in my skill set, Right. And then I find out where that crosses with what I want to do. And then the third axis is sort of what it feels like the world needs. And maybe it's just my small world, maybe it's the bigger world, I don't, it depends. But in where those three things cross is kind of where I start from, whether it's class, whether it's um, a choreograf- choreographic process, whether it's a performance, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And hopefully those three axes keep moving, right? The world, what the world needs will keep changing, my skills will keep changing, what I want to do will keep changing. So kind of calibrating where those are that's it's also what I try to do in class. It's sort of like, what do you want to do and what's happening? And then moving at that juncture yeah. where those things are. Would part of it be if you're in a class,
0: do you kind of feel the energy of the students? And has that ever derailed your plans? And you've Absolutely. had to change how you do the class.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. it's actually been, um, that's like a recent thing. Mm-hmm. I used to go in with very clear plans and sort of map them out and then do them in class. And, and from that, I kind of created, I don't know, four or five like solid structures that I was like, these are good improv classes about yeah. doing what I want to do. Yeah. And then I wanted to further challenge myself into actually doing what I was asking the people in my class to do, which was Respond to what's actually happening. So that's a recent challenge that I've taken on. I mean, I've taken so much inspiration from Sidra Bell. I mean, she's so incredible, all of her her classes, and also a lot from Connor Doyle. He's from Punch Drunk, who created uh, Sleep No More. And, I mean, everyone that I've taken from Andrea Miller, from her classes, from also Patricia Noverall's process. She's kind of a dance theater uh, maker that I worked with for the past three years. But yeah, I kind of take bits from... And they're all sort of like ways to get across what I'm currently working on.
0: Have those
1: uh, collaborators
0: and maybe some others influenced um, your movement style uh, or more the choreographic process?
1: I mean, both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Mm -hmm. funny because at a certain point... People have started to hire me to like m- do me, like for me uh, to just do me yeah, <laughs> and to yeah. be in their work as me, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And also like, I, I just have had to just sort of stop thinking about, cause I used to just really want what they had, which is why I would work with someone like, yeah. Oh, that's interesting quality. Like I want that a bit greedy. It was interesting when the tables turned a little bit cause I was like, Oh wait, Then should I be making work? But it was still, like for Pat, for example, it was definitely her work. Even though I made every move that I did, I would have never put it together the way that she did. Yeah, She's wild. It's awesome. So fun. Then I I certainly still absorb from them. Yeah. Yeah. We're so porous. Like all of us are so porous. And it's it's frustrating with this whole like idea of branding and the idea of uh, freelancers as business people – can be very frustrating because I feel like it makes us less generous and it makes us sort of yeah. grabby in terms of like this is my idea and and it's scary because it it makes it feel like this is the last good idea you'll ever have which actually in my in my experience can close down your creativity and close down your sort of your faucet isn't the whole point that we want to make the world a better place like everyone together yeah. So I think that's the other reason I think it's important for the art to have some sort of worldview behind it or some philosophy or, or something, because otherwise I think you're a little bit doing, or I would be a little bit just doing a disservice to like the mantle of art, of that sort of communication, of that imagining the a future so we can create it. Even if, even if, imagine, if it means imagining a present yes. so that we can recreate it in the future. I don't know. And even if it's just like a very specific... Uh, relationship between two people it doesn't have to be like we should have no more guns i don't know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. well,
0: that, that'd be a great piece too that'd be great
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that definitely makes sense there's that
0: kind of anchor um in your work which actually was the tagline of a previous episode with someone else oh, where we nice. talked about a work having an anchor that is relatable for the audience um, or saying something basically So one of our last questions, I do want to ask you a sort of advice-based question for our listeners, Mm -hmm. um, maybe young dancers. It's so hard to locate the right way to do things. And, of course, you have such a great mix of talents and skills, and it's no one's to say that somebody else could recreate what you've done. But you have managed to be incredibly successful as a freelancer, it sounds like, for most of your years post Juilliard. And I think so many dancers who are not connected to a company really struggle to maintain the profession and to even be dancers. So I guess, what do you think contributed to your success? And do you think there are any factors that contributed that other people could think about for their own life?
1: Oh boy. Okay. So here's, there's a few things. One, and this just like real talk, like I didn't have any student loans. And my parents helped me the first few years out of college with rent, but that's like hard truths, you know. That's privilege, and so coming from that place, I also feel that it is my responsibility to find more places for other people. For yeah, to I, I need to make more room so that that isn't a requirement to make it in the in dance so like uh, trying to oh god all these things they sound so small but like trying to give away all of my guest passes my half guest passes to classes is such a small thing but then eventually to like make more opportunity for people to make work i don't really know uh, just saying this i'm like all these things are so pitiful and small that i'm trying to to but, create but, but not
0: really because again it's a it's the world view and if it yeah. was carried on to every artist and everybody had that sense of responsibility. You know, things would look very different.
1: Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. But I think, uh, anyway, that is what I would like to be doing is to create more space for yeah. dancers to be able to do this. Because I, mm-hmm. I never had to have a day job. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I did work with a photographer. I worked with Leah Chavez. I worked with her for the past, like, 10 years. She's incredible. And working with her and Bill Hillman was kind of the reason I was able to, one of the reasons I was able to not have a day job when I first graduated.
0: Do you think that allowed you to take uh, unpaid or lower paid opportunities that really paid off later? Is that kind of part of the game? As a dancer, you have to sort of just do as many things as you can, and maybe they don't pay well. Yeah. Just getting into...
1: yeah. And And I think, and I, and that's another thing that I'm trying to do because I had to do those things is give back as much as I can. So I will do, and I, and I wonder about the economics of this, but I will do things for less money for people who I want to help them. Mm. Um, But Mm -hmm. I wonder if that in the long run helps things because of, you know, of, of then them, thinking – then choosing me over someone else because I'm – I don't know. it's I, I don't know about this. Yeah,
0: and driving down the market rate, although where more money for a higher market rate would come from, I don't know. Right, and,
1: and so and yeah. so then there's the question of, like, the short-term solutions and the long-term solutions. Yes. So short-term, I yeah. can let my – I can help my friend's project actually happen, right? right? And this is another thing. I'm, I'm trying to find more places for us to – have different currencies so like yes we have the currency of money but in the dance world in the art world there's so many other currencies and how do we give those other currencies more weight and those other currencies could be uh space and time and materials and doing box office and you know like uh, the which i guess is time and yeah time and space all those things and sort of in kind and how do we again like bolster each other as a community and then i know that there's also rent and food so you know we get that as well it's tough it's it's a it's a it's tense there's a tension between all these things but i think going at what i'm trying to do right now is do it case by case like there are moments that you can kind of look at the big world view Mm -hmm. and there's moments of just like okay but i have this gig tomorrow and my friend asked me to do this project next week and yeah, and it does sound like you've always gotten involved in as many things
0: as you can. Like you said even at school you just did all of it. So, yeah. I feel like that's a good
1: approach too. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> for to a, diversify. Totally. And for a time that especially right after school, I felt like all the projects were sort of a bit tearing me apart, like they were kind of moving me in many different directions and since right. then I've tried to do a little bit more of thinking deeply and working quickly. So sort of wherever I'm always sort of in process, whether I'm mm-hmm. in a project or not, I'm always writing, I'm thinking, I'm, yeah, so I have my own sort of like deep river of process of something that I'm trying to figure out in the world so that whenever I am asked to do a project, I'm already in process and I can sort of meet the collaborator where they are
0: yeah. rather
1: than feeling like, oh shit, I have to like create a whole process now. I have to like kind of dive in. Marty there, which has allowed all of these different projects to kind of feed that river and for me to feed them from like a deeper place than just sort of the, um, surface of whatever this project could be.
0: Right. And that's such a good tip actually as well, because people often talk to us about rehearsal, the rehearsal process or the time that you get with dancers Mm -hmm. when you're commissioned for something being so, so small. Totally. So there's this, this huge time crunch. Totally. Um, stressful and it could lead people to turn down projects so kind of having the ideas there and being ready to just turn on and go yeah it's a great idea yeah yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm. oh and i think i was just so like <laughs> despairing about you know the beginning but i do want to be clear that like privilege is a big part of it unfortunately but i would say that one of the best parts of being a freelancer is that you're able to be your own interface to the world Um, you aren't sort of representing a company or representing someone else you're representing yourself Mm -hmm. which means that you get to again in a way be politically correct in terms of your own how you think the world should work is how you get to make decisions and how you get to sort of interact with with the people around you right
0: yeah and represent your own
1: represent and develop your own personal style exactly yeah very cool
0: well um before we sign off uh let our listeners know how they can follow you and find information about your classes and all the exciting things that
1: you do yeah i have a website troyogelvey.com that um i will update today (laughs) and (laughs) but i'm also on instagram at troyannasaurus (laughs) well yeah i made it when i was like instagram's not a thing um Mm -hmm. and now it is and that's my name and and i'm on facebook yeah but currently my improv class is on is at perry dance 10 a.m on wednesdays yeah great and also
0: uh our listeners who go to perry dance will notice that you are the subject of all of the posters or all the photos they have everywhere (laughs) every time i went to class i'd be like is that you? And you were like, finally, you were like, I think they're all me. <laughs> so actually, they don't know what you look like, but they can. They go to your class. <laughs> That's true. dance. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you, Clara. This was Yay. awesome.